Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you that we can gather together as a church and talk about you and discuss your word. Pray that as you do that, that you increase our faith, that you help us to understand better who you are, uh, who we are, and how we should put our faith and trust in you. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to continue our study on rest, and this is our third third lesson. And so the first lesson, we kind of did an introduction, talked about how to study the Bible topically, and then also um, just some background on work and what a biblical view of work is, and we did that very briefly. But that's important because as we look at rest, typically the, when the Bible talks about rest, it talks about rest from work, and so we need to understand what work is. And then last week, we just started marching through the Bible, started with the first five books, looking to see what we could learn about rest from those five books. And really, the two main themes that we picked up on are the Sabbath rest. So this is the seventh, rest on the seventh day of the week from work, and it's something that God did after he created. It's something that he commanded the Israelites to do, and for them to do that perpetually. And then we also looked at the promised land rest. And so this is the idea that God was going to place his people in the land that he promised Abraham. And in that land, they would have rest, especially from their enemies. And so today we're going to continue on through the scripture and kind of see how that played out in Israel's life. Um, and really, we're going we're gonna to stick to those two main themes starting out. So Sabbath rest and promised land rest. And then we'll talk about um, some other mentions of rest in the scriptures that don't line up in one of those categories, and then we'll talk about some application for us. Um, so as we, as we do this, and so we'll be looking really from Joshua to Malachi, so the whole rest of the Old Testament except for the wisdom literature or the, the poetical books, we'll skip those, and we'll talk about that next week. But as we go through this, I want you to think about three questions, because we'll come around at the end, and this will be kind of our application time, application discussion time. And so think about these uh, questions. So what do these passages teach us about God? What do they teach us about man? And then are there any principles here that we can apply to our own rest? So what do these passages teach us about God? What do they teach us about man? And then are there any principles here that we can apply to our own rest? I'm going to try to go oh, on. Mm, I don't see the slide advancing. Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, so this is the same or a similar definition that I had up last time for rest. It's changed again. Uh, just expect this to change each time as we go through and we refine our, our definition. And so what it says is rest is God's provision to restore us from our weariness. This weariness can be physical, emotional, or spiritual. And then I've broken up kind of how God gives rest now into two categories. So before I just said this, how things God gives rest from. But now I'm distinguishing between in general for all people and then in particular for believers. So um, God in general gives rest from work, enemies, turmoil, misfortune, worry, and pain. Um, so you see him giving rest like this for Israel, despite their sin, despite their not being a nation that's falling after God. 
but God in particular gives rest to the righteous in both death and in the eternal promised land rest. And so we talked about one of these a little bit last week, the promised land rest that we see in Hebrews 4 that believers can take part in. And then we'll also see today about that a little bit more and also um, in death, how God gives rest there. Okay, so let's get into it. So rest in the life of Israel. And again, we're going to be going through um, the history books and the prophets. And so this is our outline for uh, this section um, where we look at the Sabbath. So how, how did Israel um, observe the Sabbath through their history? And, um, and, and what can we learn from it? So remember that the Israelites were commanded to rest from any work on the Sabbath day, that's Saturday, and to offer sacrifices on the altar. So these are kind of the two main commands that we have in the Sabbath. And so as we look through the Old Testament, I just want to remind you about how, how the leadership changed through Israel, because this can kind of help us as we march through and talk about the different things that um, they did, how they observed the Sabbath. Um, so, you know, Moses led the Israelites um, through the wilderness to the Promised Land. He died, and then Joshua took over as really a military leader and led them into the Promised Land and in their conquest to take the land. And so after Joshua, they successfully took the land. Um, the judges ruled over um, Israel. And then after the judges, if you remember, they wanted a king like all the other nations. So God gave him a king. He gave him Saul. Then after Saul, uh, David came as a king who was a good king, a man after God's own heart. And then his son Solomon ruled after that. And then God split the kingdom into two after Solomon because of Solomon's sin. And then you have what we call the divided kingdom. So the northern uh, kingdom and the southern kingdom. And for the most part, there were not many good kings. No good kings in the northern kingdom and a few in the southern kingdom. And then that went on for a while. And then God exiled them for 70 years. And there's something that he promised that he would do if they um, didn't obey him. And God kept his promise and did it. And then after the 70 years, he brought them back to Jerusalem. But a lot of them didn't come. A lot of them stayed dispersed, and only a few really came to Jerusalem to rebuild, and they rebuilt the temple and the city walls. So as you think through that, can you think of specific times where they were obeying the Sabbath? Through that, through Israel's history, as you look at their different leaders, any specific times that you can remember? Not many, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so typically you see that when godly men lead. Someone else say something? Mark? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Mark said at the time of Christ, there seemed to be some observance of it, although they added a lot of their own rules. Brian? Yeah, yeah so during the divided kingdom, there were some kings who um, reformed the temple 
um, sacrifices and things and made that really important and, and stopped the people from sacrificing in ways that they shouldn't. So yeah, that's, that's one example. Um, but all of you are right to kind of scratch your heads and say it's hard, it's hard to remember because there's not much mention of it. In fact, if you look at the word Sabbath um, after um, the first five books of the Bible, it doesn't occur again um, until Chronicles. And so that kind of gives you an idea of just how long it was till they really observed it. And so um, I started out like breaking this down just like I had it laid out with the leaders and going through each leader, um, but that seemed really boring. So I, I changed this and instead I'm gonna kind of do it thematically. So I wanna talk about Israel's heart. Like what do we know about Israel's heart through this time? Um, and then after we do that, we'll look at um, the short times of reform that we know about, which will include some of the godly kings. And then we'll talk about God's judgment on them in the exile. And then after that, um, we'll look at how God promised to restore Israel's Sabbath, um, their Sabbath observance. So that's kind of the four-point outline for this section, how Israel observed the Sabbath through their history. So the first point, a look into Israel's heart concerning the Sabbath. So really we have three insights here, and they, they come from the prophets, right? And, and this is what happens a lot, is that we don't really know our own heart on our own, right? We need God to open up our heart, we need God to tell us what's going on, how we feel, why we're doing what we're doing, and that's what the prophets did. They told the Israelites what their hearts were and what they were causing them to do, their, their motivation behind their actions. So that's kind of what we want to look at. So the first thing that uh, we see is that they profane the Sabbath. Israel profane the Sabbath. So Ezekiel 20 gives us a nice um, history, really, of, of Israel. And so you can turn there if you like. I'll read a few select verses. Um, Ezekiel 20. And really, this is a, a description of from when they left Egypt uh, until Ezekiel's time, how they treated the Sabbath, how they treated God's rules, and it's, it's not good. Um, and so we'll skip around. We'll start in Ezekiel 20, 11. He says, I gave them my statutes and I formed them of my ordinances. So them, of course, is Israel, um, is God speaking through Ezekiel, by which if a man observes them, he will live. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They do not walk in my statutes, and they rejected my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. And my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. And of course, God relents, and he doesn't. <clears throat> but if you jump down to verse 18, it happens all over again. He says, I said to their children in the wilderness... Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers or keep their ordinances or defile yourselves with the idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and observe them. Sanctify my Sabbaths. And they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, nor were they careful to observe my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. They profane my Sabbaths. So I resolved to pour out my wrath on them, to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. So again, you see their children doing the same thing that the fathers did, their fathers did as they first began in the wilderness. 
And then if you jump down to verse 27, he says, Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Yet in this your fathers have blasphemed me by acting treacherously against me. When I had brought them into the land, so this is now talking about the people after they settle in the promised land, which I swore to give them, then they saw every high hill and every leafy tree, and they offered their, there their sacrifices, and there they presented their provocation of their offering. They, there also they made their soothing aroma, and there they poured out their drink offering. So what's, what's wrong with this in this verses? What are they doing that's profaning the Sabbath? Did you catch it? Yeah, they're worshiping idols. So the idea of the, the leafy tree, um, and then also the high hill. So they, they started sacrificing on high places instead of where God told them to sacrifice, which is on the altar. And why do they do this? Well, because all the nations around them were doing it. That's how they worshiped their God. And so they were making this worship, this sacrifice that God told them to do, um, that was holy, right? God set it apart. He told them, you do this and you do it this way. They profaned it. So they made it pagan. They mixed it with what the world does. It doesn't mean anything. They're not worshiping any true God. And they're doing it the way that God told them not to do it. So this is what the Israelites did in general. They profaned the Sabbath. They didn't keep it holy. We get a few more insights into their heart. So we know that their heart, at least for some time, was to sell for dishonest gain, um, to work for dishonest gain. So if, if working is what you want to do and you want to do it um, not in a godly way, then why would you stop doing it on the Sabbath? And so we see in Amos um, 8, verse 4, he says, Hear this, you who trample the needy, to do away with the humble of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat markets, to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales, so as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals, and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. So you see, all they want to do is they want to go back to the market, they want to buy, they want to sell but they're not doing it for good. They're not working honestly. They're doing it dishonestly. So they wanted to work dishonestly instead of keep the Sabbath. And then the last thing here we see is that they worked on the Sabbath. So this is from Jeremiah. Jeremiah seventeen twenty one says, Thus says the Lord, Take heed for yourselves, and do not carry any load on the Sabbath day, or bring anything in through the gates of Jerusalem. You shall not bring a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your forefathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks in order not to listen or take correction. So they, they didn't not work like God told them to do. They worked. And so this is the heart of Israel. This is what they wanted to do they wanted to do what they wanted to do they didn't want to listen to god they didn't want to follow his commands and so i just want to take a moment to talk about um you know put ourselves in, in their shoes not specifically talking about the sabbath but the church and how they respond to god's commands that they don't like or that they feel like is worthless or that is of no uh, benefit 
to us. They, maybe they don't understand. Why do we have this command? I don't get it. Um, and you can kind of, if you start thinking along those lines, you can think about any authority in your life. So if your boss tells you to do something and you just don't understand why, it doesn't make any sense. What's our tendency? I'd say that again, Jesse. Yeah, we don't want to do it. Or if we do it, then how do we do it? <laughs> yeah, half-heartedly, we don't do it well. And so you see that same attitude in the Israelites. And really, this gets to the importance of faith, right? So if the Israelites would have had faith that God is good, that his commands are good, and that they're for our benefit, then they would have done them with, with a happy heart. But since they didn't have faith, they just saw it as a burden. They, they either didn't do it, or when they did do it, they did half-heartedly, um, just enough to get by. And you see this also, like in Malachi, when he's bringing um, woes, really, against the priest. He says, you, you know, you're bringing me um, defiled sacrifices. You're bringing the lame animals and sacrificing them on the altar. That's not what God told them to do, right? He told them to bring the best, but they didn't. They were just trying to get by. They were going through the motions without really thinking about um, the goodness of God and his commands. All right, so that was the heart of Israel. So, however, there were some short times of reform uh, through their history. And so we mentioned a few of them already, but Solomon um, had a time in his reign where he, of course, built the temple. <laughs> and then after he built the temple, he really reinstituted um, temple worship. And so we see that in Second Chronicles 8:12. And of course, this was uh, prophesied to David. Uh, David also told Solomon that he would do this, and then we see it happening in Second Chronicles 8. And I'll read verse 12 and 13. It says, "Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which he had built before the porch, and did so according to the daily rule, offering them up according to the commandments of Moses, for the Sabbaths, for the new moons and the three annual feasts the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. And so another thing that he did, he didn't just build the temple and start sacrifices. He, he assigned Levites roles to do all these things. So he really set up the system so that it could, it could continue, um, and it did for a time. So under Solomon, there was some reform. Under Hezekiah, there was reform. And so in Second Chronicles 31.3, we read, He, that's Hezekiah, also appointed the king's portion of his goods for the burnt offerings, namely for the morning and evening burnt offerings, and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the fixed festivals as it is written in the law of the Lord. And so you see that he reinstituted the Sabbath sacrifices. And, and you'll see that a lot here, especially when we talk about the kings that are um, reforming, it has a lot to do with this, the sacrificial side of Sabbath observance. And we don't see so much as far as the ceasing from work from the kings. Um, but you do in our next example, which is Nehemiah. Um, so Nehemiah, along with Ezra, made reforms. And so this is after their 70-year exile. Um, a lot of them go back to Jerusalem. And they really recommitted to observe the Sabbath and not work. Um, and so you read in Nehemiah 10.31... And, and so what was going on here is there were uh, the, all the pagan nations around Jerusalem were, were coming on the Sabbath 
um, getting through the gate and they set up tables and have a market really and the, the Jews would come and buy from them and of course Nehemiah saw this and he's like you can't do this and so in Nehemiah 10 31 it says as for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day and we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt and so you see both here them saying we're not going to work on the Sabbath and also we're going to observe the Sabbath year, which they had never done before. And it was the whole reason why they were in exile for the time that they were, the 70 years. Um, <clears throat> and so this Nehemiah 10, it's, this isn't Nehemiah telling them something. This is the people saying, we promise to do this. They had, had a reform. They read, they read the first five books of the Bible, and they were, like, we're, they were cut to the heart. Um, and so they reformed themselves. They wanted to stop sinning and obey God. Uh, however, if we go a few chapters later in Nehemiah, it really didn't last that long. This might have been 13 years or so later. And you see in Nehemiah 13 that they went back to um, making wine on the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah had, again, had to again come and tell them, no, you can't do that. Um, so there's also, you know, we're talking about the nation as a whole in all these but of course, there's always people that are obeying God, right? God keeps a remnant. And so we do have examples of this in Scripture where there's certain people that are obeying God. They're resting on the Sabbath. They're uh, taking part in the sacrifices as, as far as they can. And so one example of this is um, the Shunammite woman. So if you remember, this was a woman that Elijah passed her house as he traveled, Elisha. And um, she saw Elisha, and she's like, you know, she fed him a few times. She's like, I want to set up a room for him so he can stay, so he can rest. Um, and, and he did, and she did do that, and he rested. And he wanted to uh, help her. He, he wanted to give her something. And what he did was give her a son. So she, um, she had a son, and then years later, her son died. And she was like, I've got to go find Elisha. Uh, he can help. And so we get this hint as to her life because she goes and she asks her husband, hey, can I have a donkey? I want to go, um, go to Elisha. And this is what her husband says in 2 Kings 4.22. Um, she says, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I might run to the man of God and return. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. So we get this idea that she was observing the Sabbath. She was going probably to Mount Carmel where Elisha was um, to take part in the sacrifices to, to observe it. And so she was trying to observe the Sabbath. And you have examples of this, of, of people throughout Israelites' history um, that are godly, that want to obey God. But in general, as a nation, they weren't doing these things. Okay, so that's... Um, some short reform that ends that section. And then after, um, after that, we come to God's judgment. So they weren't obeying the Sabbath. In general, God's people weren't obeying him. They weren't obeying his law. Um, but we see in this judgment of the exile some specific things about the Sabbath. And so um, you see in Isaiah 113, God really telling Israel what he thinks about 
what they've been doing. It says, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. So God's saying, you're doing it so wrong, I'm done. I don't want you to do it anymore. He was tired of it. He says, I cannot endure iniquity. And so what did he do? Well, he took away the Sabbath while they were in exile. So in Hosea 2.11, it says, I will also put an end to all her gaiety, her feast, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her festal assemblies. So her would be Israel. And then you see Jeremiah and Lamentations say, talking about God, and he has violently treated his tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed his appointed meeting place. The Lord has caused to be forgotten the appointed feast and Sabbath in Zion, and he has despised king and priest in the indignation of his anger. So both these verses are specifically talking about the time that they're in exile. They had no Sabbath. And then, of course, during this time, God gave the land the Sabbath rest that it was supposed to have. So in 2 Chronicles 36, 21, it says, To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed, enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. So, of course, Israel was supposed to not tend their land every seventh year, and they never did that. And so God let the land rest during the 70 years while his people were um, in faraway places. Um, however, God's judgment wouldn't last forever. God promises uh, of a restored Israel with Sabbath observance. And so you probably know this, but what the prophets did, they brought these warnings, they told the people um, their sin, what they needed to do to stop, how they needed to obey God, and told them what would happen if they didn't. But there's always hope mixed in with their message. And then we see this in Ezekiel uh, chapter 39. So listen to the, the promise through Ezekiel about a future restoration of Israel. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget their disgrace and all their treachery which they perpetrated against me. When they live securely on their land with no one to make them afraid, when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of the many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gathered them again in their own land and I will leave none of them there any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer for I have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. So if you go to Ezekiel 44, it talks about um, during this time. So really, Ezekiel 39 starts... In, in the book, talking about a future for Israel. And so Ezekiel 44, 24 describes what the Levites will be doing during that time. It says, in a dispute, they shall take their stand to judge. They shall judge it according to my ordinances. They shall also keep my laws and my statutes and all my appointed feasts and sanctify my Sabbaths. So you can see during this time when there's a restored Israel, they will be keeping the Sabbath. And so there's this hope here that God's telling the Israelites uh, that it will get better. And, of course, this time doesn't describe well their return, right? If you, if you remember Nehemiah, there are enemies all around always trying to, to get to them. Um, this talks about a time where they're, they're not afraid of enemies. It talks about a time where their spirit's poured out, God's spirit is poured out on them. So this is a future. This is a future even now for Israel. Okay, so that's our um, 
section about the Sabbath and the Sabbath in Israel's history. Is there, do you have any questions or is there any mention that I might maybe forgot or anything that you want to talk about? Marvin? Oh, Isaiah. Yeah. Maybe I should spell those out. <laughs> um, Daniel? Yeah, so I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end, but it's just going to be a discussion, so I'm going to open it up to everybody. Um, do you see application? So we can think about the questions that I asked earlier. What do we learn about God? What do we learn about man? So maybe you can start there. Um, Greg? Yeah, that's a good example. Anybody else? Brian? Yeah, it is. And it is interesting that the Israelites weren't quite sure what to do with it, right? They brought it to Moses, and Moses wasn't the one that made the judgment, but it was God, right, that told them to stone the man. Um, but he, he was doing what he shouldn't have done on the Sabbath, and God takes that seriously. I'd add just um, kind of along with what Greg said about church, so also the command that we should regularly meet with God's people in Hebrews 10. That's another thing that can be inconvenient for us. We might rather do something else. Um, we might not see the need for it. And you can see this in the church, right? Especially um, after COVID and, you know, the pandemic's over, maybe or maybe not, but we can, churches are open now, but so many people are still just staying at home and watching it on TV. Why? Because it's more convenient. Because they don't see the need to be around God's people. But yeah, God's word tells them that that's not true. They do need that. Um, but they just, just like these people profaning the Sabbath, doing it their own way or not even participating, the people are doing that in the church, right? And not, not gathering with his people.
So does that help a little bit, Daniel? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a good point. And you see that in Nehemiah too, right? That's what brought the reform. Uh, they read the word to all the people. Now God's word changes our hearts. Um, okay, so we'll move on to uh, the promised land rest. And so there's our, our second theme to go through. And so uh, if you remember, God had promised Moses and actually from Abraham and then Moses that he would give them this land. And Joshua, even as they're going into the promised land to conquer it, he says, Remember the word which Moses, a servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. So that's, that's the backdrop. That's what's going on as we kind of start looking at uh, Joshua and um, the promised land. And so it went, it went well enough. Joshua and the Israelites went into the land. They conquered most of the people. Uh, in the land and wiped them out, most of them, um, and they settled in the land and they had rest. So uh, in Joshua, so that's the yeah the initial promised land conquest. After that, they had rest, and you see that in Joshua twenty one forty three. So it says the Lord gave Israel all the land which He had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all that He had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave them all their enemies into their hand. So they had rest in the land. They had rest from their enemies. There was, there was no one trying to fight them. And what's interesting, too, you see in Isaiah 63 is um, why God did this. It says, as the cattle which go down into the valley, the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. This is specifically talking about this time. So you led your people to make yourself a glorious name. So when we talk about God doing these things, instituting the Sabbath, giving them rest, we need to understand that, yes, these things are for our benefit, their benefit, but ultimately it's for God's glory. He was making a name for himself. He was, remember what he did, right? He led his people out of Egypt, um, out from underneath Pharaoh, brought them through the Red Sea, brought them through the wilderness, brought them into this land where they conquered so many people, and settle them in the land. And so that gave God glory. Look what he did. And the nation saw that. The nation saw what God did for his people. And they were amazed. 
Um, so they had rest when they first got to the promised land. However, that didn't last very long. As I mentioned, there, the judges came up after Joshua. So they had these cycles of rest and war during the judges. A lot of times when we talk about the judges, we talk about cycles of sin because you, you, the, the judges were good and bad. So you had a bad judge uh, not leading their people well. They would fall into sin. they get conquered by their enemies. Then they cry out to God. And God would rescue them. And it just happened over and over and over. And when he'd rescued them, he gave them rest from their enemies. And you see that in Judges uh, 3.9. It says, When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them. Othanel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Um, and then if you drop down to uh, verse 11, Then the land had rest 40 years, and Othanel, the son of Kenaz, died. And Nehemiah recounts this too. Um, he talks about in Nehemiah 9, verse 28, um, but as soon as they had rest, they did evil again before the Lord. Therefore you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. When they cried again to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you rescued them according to your compassion. So along with these cycles of sin, opposite that, you have cycles of rest, where they have rest from their enemies because they cried out to God um, and he delivered them. So also there's some rest during Solomon's reign. So God promised that David's son would have rest from his enemies, and, and he did it. Um, in 1 Chronicles 22.9, it says, Behold, a son will be born to you. You shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. And so you get you get another idea of what this rest means. And when you have rest from enemies, when you have rest in your land, there's peace and quiet. We all like that, don't we? Um, in fact, there's even another passage that talks about this rest during Solomon's time in 1 Kings 5, 3-4. And it says, You know that David, my father, was unable to build a house for the name, name of the Lord his God because of the wars which surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. This is Solomon. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. So adversary is the enemy. That's what we've been talking about, rest from enemies. But you get this other picture of the rest that he gave, rest from misfortune. And really, this, this is what the world will call bad luck. You know, they had good luck. Of course, we know that's not true in, in the sense that it just happened to happen. We know that God's working God's giving them rest. God's giving them fortune. He's keeping misfortune from them. So no famine, no drought, no accidents. Um, these things they didn't go through. So, but of course, uh, Solomon sinned. The kingdom split. Um, and but there are some times of rest during a few of the godly kings during the split kingdom. And so King Asa. Uh, he was a king of Judah. He had zeal for the true worship of God. Um, and so during most of his reign, they had rest. It says in Second Chronicles 14.2, Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. As he removed the foreign altars and high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also moved the, removed the high places and the incense altars from the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, since the land was undisturbed, and there was no one at war with him during those years, because the Lord 
had given him rest. So again, the rest that you see given by the Lord. Um, it's not something that just happened. God gave them rest. And you also see in 2 Chronicles 15, 15, one of the reasons why God gave them rest. He says, All Judah rejoiced concerning the oath, for they had sworn with their whole heart and had sought him earnestly and let them find him. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. They see as the people uh, rededicated themselves to following God, to obeying his commands. That's why God gave them rest. Um, Also under King Jehoshaphat, we see rest. It says in 2 Chronicles 20.30, So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides. Again, the rest coming from God. So that's a summary of the rest that Israel had from its enemies before the exile. Um, Of course, Israel's disobedience called them to find no rest. Um, So this would be... um, find rest of course God required them to obey Um, but really in their disobedience they rejected the rest that God offered and so you see that in a few places Isaiah 28 talks about God saying here's rest give rest to the weary and here's repose Uh, but they would not listen that's Isaiah 28 12 and Jeremiah 6 16 says thus says the Lord stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So this is Jeremiah saying, go back, go back to the law, go back to what God told Moses, follow that, and you will find rest. And they said, no, we're not, we're not going to do it. Um, and it's interesting, too, that Jeremiah says, you will find rest for your souls. So this is, it's a bigger picture view than rest from your enemies. And you likely might be thinking, and, and well so, about Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus invites people, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So this idea that the, the comprehensive rest that God gives isn't just rest from your enemies, it's not just rest from bad luck type of things, but it's rest for your soul. It's peace with God. It's reconciliation with God. That's the ultimate rest that God offers. <clears throat> so because of their disobedience, they couldn't find rest. And then, of course, they were exiled, and they had no rest while they were in exile. In Jeremiah 56, it says, My people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have made them turn aside on the mountains. They have gone along from mountain to hill and have forgotten their resting place. And then in Lamentations, Jeremiah continues to talk about how while they're in exile, they have no rest. So Lamentations 5.5 says, Our pursuers are at our neck. We are worn out. There is no rest for us. Um, So Israel... They couldn't find rest because they were captives. Their enemies were there. Um, are there times where, and so because of that, they couldn't rest. Are there times in your life where you find it hard to rest? Um, I think we can all probably say yes. So when are those times? When do you find that it's hard to rest? Yeah, so anxiety, yeah. 
That might be the biggest one. Anybody think of anything else? It's hard to rest, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when you have little children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when there's just so much work to do and it's it all seems imminent, right? It all seems like it needs to get done right now. Yeah. So some of these things could, could be the result of sin, like Daniel said, if, if we have this anxiety that we shouldn't have and it, it brings us a lot of worry because we're not trusting God like we should. So there's the idea of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that we should pray to God, ask him for help, and trust him that he will. Um, and then we will have peace. Okay, so... So finally, we see um, as far as um, rest in the promised land that God promised to bring Israel back to the land. God promised to bring Israel back to the land. Um, And so we see this in Jeremiah 29. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. And so this is his promise to bring them back after 70 years in exile. And he did this. However, there's other promises that we see that talk about things that didn't happen at the return. And so you can go all the way back to Deuteronomy 30, that God had promised a final resting place to Israel where they had circumcised hearts. So Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 says, So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing of the curse which I have set before you. You call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If you are outcast, if you're outcast or at the end of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. From there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your forefathers possessed. And you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. So this describes some things that didn't happen in the return under, uh, after the exile, and specifically that the Lord your God will um, circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendant. So the idea is that this, this lasts, you know, it, it'll be a national reformation, a national salvation. And we see this in many other passages like Ezekiel 36 and 37. Um, in the interest of time, I'm not going to read those. Um, but it, it's really fascinating to look and see these promises that God gave um, Israel to not only reinstitute their Sabbath at some later future time, but also give them final rest from their enemies, a future rest. And with that rest will come circumcised hearts. And so this is really the hope that the prophets brought Israel, that they would have this final rest. Okay, so other examples of rest. Um, I'm going to go through this really fast so we just have some time for discussion. Uh, but you see times where rest from work is no longer needed. So this is in First Chronicles 23, 24. What was going on here is 
um, what, what, one of the Levites' main jobs was to uh, carry the tabernacle, right? This was their work. Um, but with the temple that Solomon built, they no longer needed to do that. So the idea was that this, this work could cease. They didn't need to do this work anymore. And David actually gave them new work to do in the temple. Um, we also see in the Bible rest from travel. So again, this is Elisha and him traveling from Mount Carmel to distant places and um, the Shunammite woman setting up this, ha- this room in her house for him to rest. And this was more than just sleep. She had a, a desk in there, a chair, and a bed. This was a place for him to really rest and relax from his travels. Um, we also see people resting during the day. Um, and so this, this isn't prescriptive. This isn't say, like, we need a siesta or anything like that. Um, but Ishbosheth was, was a king of Israel, um, kind of between David and Solomon. There was a brief time where the kingdom was split. He was a bad guy, and so he was uh, resting in his bed. It talks about it in 2 Samuel 4, 5. Um, In the heat of the day, he was taking his midday rest, is what it says. And um, people came in and killed him when he was taking his midday rest. But this idea that it's really hot outside, he couldn't be out there, so he rested. Um, So you see that in Scripture. Um, You also see the idea that... um, you can rest from your enemies. There was rest from enemies while exiled from their land. So this is in Esther 9:17 and 18. And you guys probably remember this, but um, the bad Persian king, well, he was uh, manipulated. And then he said, everyone can go out and kill the Jews. Um, but the Jews fought and they they killed all the people that were trying to kill them. They killed their enemies. And then after that, they took like two to three days and rested. So there's the idea that they're resting from their, their enemies. Um, even And this is kind of like exile, beginning of the return time. So they rest from fighting. Um, also, we see an example of Ruth finding rest from her work in a husband. And so Ruth 1.9 talks about that. It says, May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband, and she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So this is um, her, her mom, her stepmom, right? Um, saying that she could find rest in a husband. What was she doing? She was out working in the fields, right? She was working so that she could eat, so that she could feed her family. And so if she found her husband, she wouldn't have to do that. And then finally, there's rest for the righteous in death. And so in Isaiah 57, 1, it says, The righteous man perishes, and no man takes it to heart, and devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds. This literally is graves. Each one who walked in his upright way. So there's this idea that when... Righteous people die, there's a rest for them. They're no longer around all of the evil people that they were around um, and that they have rest and peace. So if you're an unbeliever and you, and you die and go to hell, that is not rest and peace, right? That's anguish. You're, you're not at peace. You don't have rest. But if you die and you're righteous, you do. And so we see this similar thing at the end of Daniel in Daniel 12:13. So Daniel, you know, he hears all these uh, prophecies about what's going to happen to Israel. 
and he's, he's worried, and he says, um, you know, what will be the outcome of these events? And the angel tells him what will happen, and then the angel says this, but as, for, but as for you, go your way to the end, that is the end of his life, then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. I just imagine what it was like for Daniel to hear this. You know, he hears about all these things that are going to happen to his, his nation, and they're not good things. Um, but the angel tells him this, you're going to die, but you're going to be at peace when you die. You're going to be at rest. But then that's not the end, right? You will rise again, and not just rise again for anything, but for your allotted portion at the end of the age, there's something for him. He's going to do something. There's work, and it's going to be good. And we all have that same promise as believers. We will die. We will be at rest when we die. But then that's not the end. We will rise again. We will be glorified. We will be with God. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you. And so now let's go back to these questions that we talked about at the beginning. Um, So what do these passages teach us about God, about man, and then any direct application we have two minutes. Um, so we can answer any of those. Just pick, pick one. What Have you thought about those as we've talked? Yeah, Patrick? Yeah, yeah, definitely, and that goes for the good things he's promises and the, you know, the discipline things, the, the curses, if you will, in Deuteronomy. So he shows himself faithful when he disciplines them like he says he would for their sin. So yeah, definitely, he's faithful. Bridget? Yeah, and faith faith is the foundation of having the right attitude and all that, right? And taking God's commands, trusting that they're good, they're good commands, they're not, they're not bad commands. They give him glory, um, they're for our good, and so we need to trust, right, and have faith. And that, that motivates us and can help us obey like we should. cares for you. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, if, if him instituting the Sabbath for Israel doesn't let you know that God cares for people, right, I don't know what else would. 
he, he told you he told them not to work even when you when you have work to do and take a whole day and rest because you're weary and he knows that and he wants you to get rest these are a few of my answers for this first question um, so they teach us that God glorified himself when he led Israel into the promised land um, his commands for the Sabbath were a blessing. They were meant to be a blessing, but Israel didn't take them as a blessing. And he has a future plan for Israel and all believers. Those for our goodness, glory. Um, okay, what about, what does this teach us for man, about man? And then the final one, any direct application? We're going to spend a whole Sunday, like, really digging into the application for us, considering all the scriptures, so we don't have to, like, hit it all now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. God knows what's best, and we don't. He knows what we need uh, more than we do. Yeah. Patrick? That's a really good point because you see that all through Israel's history. They want to be like the nations. They want to worship God like the nations worship their gods. And we have a tendency to do similar things. All right, well, I'll pray for us and we can be dismissed and talk more next week. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you know um, us, that you know the things that are good for us. You know what we need and that you provide for us those things. Father, I pray that you give us faith Give us faith to trust your commands, um, that they are, they are what we need, that they glorify you when we obey them, and that um, they give us the things that we need, that they're good for us, that we don't, any ideas that we have that are different, um, help us to realize that those aren't good, that that's our flesh, that it's not uh, wisdom if it goes against the things you've said. So Father, help us in all those things. Help us to continue to worship you as we should today. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.